reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 3, and it's on page 1169. That's page 1169. And it's Paul reprimanding the Galatians for going back to the law. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? or because you believe what you heard. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, The man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I had a text message on Friday um, which told me that uh, I could now apply for my um, COVID certificate. And then it also said, which seems slightly odd, you may be fined if you don't apply for it. Um, Well, I didn't go for the link. Um, I just deleted it. But I wonder if you've ever been conned or scammed, whether you've ever fallen for a scam Perhaps you haven't, but perhaps you know someone else who has. Um, Maybe you're very sensible, and you'd never fall for the text message or the email that promises you some, um, you know, tells you've won a prize, but you just have to enter a few personal details in order to get it. Or perhaps you, you know, have had, I'm sure we've all had that phone call that tells you that your Amazon account or your um, broadband provider has somehow been compromised, and you need to just sort of you know, set it up again and give all your details. It's, uh, it's very easy to get taken in, isn't it? And when you do, when people do that afterwards, they realize just how foolish it was. Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, the Galatian church again, and we're going to think about how its members had been taken in, how they had acted like fools. Um, but before we do that, shall we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we 
look at this next section together in Galatians, that you would um, help us to learn the lessons that there are for us, that we wouldn't be foolish like the Galatian Christians were, that we wouldn't get taken in by uh, false teaching, by telling us to go the wrong way. Please help us to learn and to apply it to our lives. And we pray too that as we look at this passage, you'd help us to understand the amazing achievement that the Lord Jesus achieved for us on the cross. And we pray that in his name. Amen. So do have that uh, passage open in front of you. If you've got the Church Bibles, it's page 1169. Or if you've got these, uh, these uh, Galatians uh, little booklets on page 18, because um, we're going to be sort of chopping around, chopping and changing a bit through, um, through this, this section. So the Galatians, they'd, been, they'd fallen for an amazing con trick. They really had been taken in, and they, had been, they were extremely foolish. Um, and the Apostle Paul says that, calls them fools. And, you know, we, you may remember back in chapter 1, he said he was astonished that they could be so easily taken in. And he says here in this chapter, he says it was as if they were under a spell, you know, as if a spell had been cast on them. And as you probably know, if you've been here before, they'd been, uh, in previous weeks when we've been looking at this book, they'd been persuaded that the cross of Christ wasn't enough. Um, for, you know, they were saying, people were saying to be a Christian, to be part of God's family, needed more than just the cross of Christ. And as we've already seen in this letter, they'd fallen for the lie that it was necessary for them to submit to all sorts of Jewish customs. So it was necessary in order to be a Christian. So it was said that they, the men needed to be circumcised. And it was essential that they all observed all sorts of um, special religious festivals. It says that in chapter 4, verse 10. And last week we saw how Rob, um, Rob showed us how Paul had opposed Peter when Peter had, pushed, had been pushed into separating himself from the non-Jewish Christians by eating separately from them. Paul had argued that being put right with God, and remember that being put right with God, that, that's what that word justified means, so being put right, being justified, depends on faith. And as Paul argued to Peter, it doesn't depend on doing certain things. It doesn't depend on being circumcised or observing religious festivals or traditions. Those things don't put you right with God. So having described back in chapter 2 how he had um, previously challenged Peter and corrected him, Paul now in chapter 3, he turns his attention back onto the Galatians, onto the Christians there in Galatia. And he really lays into them, doesn't he? He really lays into them. Now, as we read Galatians, you may think, oh, it's all a bit repetitive, because there are some points in Galatians that are repeated quite a few times. But I guess that's because it's really important. And in addition to uh, seeing some things that we've seen before in this section, we're also going to... Um, find that Paul highlights the central importance of the cross of the Lord Jesus. So in the first half of this um, chapter, chapter 3, there are two sets of contrasts. I wonder if you noticed that as, as Pam was reading it to us. There are two contrasts, two contrasting routes or ways to go, and two contrasting results or things that those ways lead to. 
So what are, the, what are the two routes that we can take? Well, the first of them is to trust in our human effort. It's the idea that we can earn our way back into God's good books. The idea that if I do the right thing, I'll be okay. It's all about sticking to rules, all about doing things. And that's what Paul means when he talks about works of the law. Of course, the law itself is good. Nothing wrong with the law. But there's a problem to thinking that keeping the law will be enough because no matter how many good things we do, we're never perfect. We can't perfectly keep the law. Each of us, if we, if we reflect honestly about ourselves, we know that there are things in the way that we behave or the things that we think that we know are not right. That's why, just a little bit earlier on, Caroline led us in confession, because we know every week, however hard we try, we get things wrong. And yet, yet despite that, it's so tempting, and we readily think that we can do our best and that we can be good enough. But that's the first way. But when we contrast this route with the other route, uh, let's have a look at that. The other route, the way to live, that Paul describes in this section, and the other route is to trust in God's plan, to trust in the Lord Jesus. It's the way that Paul calls the way of faith. Now, of course, God had given the law, he'd given the commandments to Moses to instruct the people of Israel. But long before that, 400, more than 400 years before that, Abraham, who was the, the, like, the, the father of the Jewish nation, so long, 400 years before the Mo Mo Moses' law arrived, Abraham had shown that this second route was the way to go. The route of faith was the way to go. Paul says that Abraham was credited with righteousness. He was put right with God, not because of anything that he did, but because he believed in God. I'm just going to turn back to read a few verses from Genesis chapter 15. If you want to look at it, but you don't have to, but if you want to look at it, it's on page 15 of the Bible. So chapter 15 of Genesis, this is what um, God is saying to, to Abraham. And this is when Abraham was an old man and didn't have any children. And God said, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And then it says that God took Abraham. He took him outside and said, look up in the sky, look up at the heavens, and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And then we read this amazing verse, that, which is the verse that Paul quotes in Galatians 3, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abraham completely 
trusted. Abraham listened to God, and he completely trusted what God said. And because of that, it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't anything that Abraham had done. He didn't do anything. He just believed God, and he believed his promises. So those are the two ways that you can go, the way of trusting in human effort or the way of trusting in God's plan. So we can, go, we can choose to go the way of law, relying on our efforts, or, the way of, or we can go the way of faith, believing in the Lord Jesus. So those are the two contrasting ways, the two different routes that we can go in life. And depending on which way we go, there are two different results. And again, they're two very contrasting results. <clears throat> so we read, again, in this section, that the results are either curse or blessing. Now, if you take the first route, if you take the first route, trusting, you think, okay, I can trust in human effort. Unfortunately, that's bound to fail. Because as we've seen, the idea that keeping the law, sticking to the rules would succeed it doesn't work, because none of us is able to do that. Unless someone perfectly keeps the law, the verdict is curse. So look at verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. But the Old Testament scriptures, they'd already taught the Jewish people that this way wasn't the way to go. The way that led to cursing wasn't the way to go. The prophet Habakkuk, Paul quotes him there in verse 11, he declared, Habakkuk already said, the righteous, the people who are put right with God, will live by faith. They don't get there by doing the right thing, they will get there by faith. And then the law, as verse 12 says, isn't based on faith. So on the contrary, and, and Paul quotes in verse 12 from Leviticus, so paraphrasing a little bit what that verse in Leviticus says, it says this, if you wish to find life by obeying the law, you must obey all its commands. So the result of following this, trying to stick to rules or human effort, just doesn't work and the result is curse. But in contrast, if we go down the other route, the route of trusting in Jesus, then it leads to blessing. I wonder if you saw that in this, in this section, where faith results in blessing. And the blessing was even predicted uh, long ago, and a long time before the law was given. Again, uh, Paul talks about Abraham, and this time he's quoting Abraham from even, even further back than chapter 15, back in chapter 12. Um, <clears throat> he says that uh, God promised to bless all nations through Abraham, through his descendant. So God, Paul's there quoting from Genesis 12. Paul, uh, God had said to, God had said to uh, Abraham, I will bless you and I'll bless you and all nations will be blessed through you. So somehow this blessing was going to come. And if you look at verse 8, you'll see how the blessing was experienced. In verse 8, 
Paul highlights one of the aspects. There are two aspects of blessing in this, in this section. Verse 8, we read that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, it says. Verse 8 said, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So the blessing, one of the aspects of blessing that was predicted there long ago, long before the law was ever given through Moses to Abraham was that the Gentiles, that all people of the earth could be blessed and the blessing would be justification, being put right with God. That, that's a wonderful blessing that comes from faith in the Lord Jesus. But there is more. Verse 14 tells us that faith in Jesus brings the blessing of the Holy Spirit. All who trust in Christ receive the Holy Spirit. God lives in us. They'll have to come back in a few weeks' time when we get to chapter 5 to find out some of the blessings that come from the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit helps us to live the life that is, uh, that is one that pleases God. So there are these two huge contrasts, two ways that we can go, the way of law or the way of faith, and the results are equally uh, contrasting. We can either have curse, and that really is separation, separation or exile from God's presence, or on the other hand, we can have blessing. Blessing is justification, being put right with God, being in the right with God, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to the start of chapter 3. No wonder that Paul says to them, you're foolish. No wonder he describes the Galatians as foolish, as people who have fallen for the most awful contract, who've been bewitched by a terrible spell. But if you're a Christian believer, ask yourself the questions that Paul asks his readers. Did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit because of things that you did, the good you've done? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit because you trusted in the Lord Jesus? Are we tempted to think like the Galatians? Yeah, you might say, yes, yes, of course Jesus died on the cross for me. That's a start, but I need to do my bit. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of these verses in, in the message, he puts it like this. <clears throat> Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God, or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose that you could perfect it? How can we be so foolish and be tempted and to go on to think like that? Or how can we fall for the contract that's played on us by those who suggest that uh, we need to do this, or we need to do that, or we need to experience this or that, really to be put right with God. We could think and we could discuss for a long time about all sorts of different ways in which there might be pressure to do something or to experience something 
in order to be a so-called real Christian. And the list, if we talked about it, would be endless. If you've been a Christian for some time, you'll probably have faced up to some of these fads that come and go. Let's, let's beware of anything that encourages us to go down the route of law rather than the route of faith. Being a Christian in, in the Galatian culture wouldn't have been easy, and Paul asks them. He said, you know, you've suffered so much for the good news. Surely it wasn't in vain. Are you never going to throw it all away? And again, ask ourselves, as Paul asked them, has God really blessed us with the Holy Spirit and worked great changes in our lives because of what we've done? No, of course not. Don't be so stupid. But there's still one important question to ask, and that is, how is it that faith in Jesus, it's you know, okay to say the way of faith is the way to go, but how is it that faith in Jesus leads us to being in the right with God? How is it that we are justified? How is it that we're put right? Paul reminds the Galatians that central to the gospel, the good news, central to the good news, is the cross of the Lord Jesus, the cross of Christ. When Paul had preached the good news to them, he'd enabled them to see the Lord Jesus crucified. That had been where he told them to look. That's where he directed their attention. Of course, they, they weren't actually present uh, when Jesus was crucified. Almost certainly they weren't there in Jerusalem at the cross when Jesus was crucified. But as Paul clearly explained the meaning of the cross to them, he says it, it was as if he was showing them a signboard with a picture of Jesus dying on the cross. He was painting a picture in, in words for them to see. And they really, in their mind's eye, they could see, they could understand. You know, they were able to look, they were able to imagine they were able to understand the real significance of the cross. He pointed them to Jesus. He pointed them to the one person who had lived a perfect life. He pointed them to Jesus, who is fully God and fully human. And he's the one person who didn't deserve the curse of separation from God. And yet the wonder, the wonder, the amazing wonder of the gospel is this. The wonder of the gospel is this, that Jesus became a curse for us. So to emphasize that point, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 21, 23, and he says, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. It's through the cross that the curse which we deserve is removed. So the curse is what we all deserve. But that curse is deserved, removed for us, because Jesus, this section very clearly says, Jesus took the curse for us. Throughout Scripture, God's plan to save humankind is revealed. God the Father and God the Son both willingly took this path. It isn't as if somehow Jesus and the Father were going on separate routes. No, they willingly took this path so that God, in the person of the Lord Jesus, would take the curse for us. 
As Paul reminded another group of Christians in Corinth, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. In the letter to the Colossian Christians, we read that God cancelled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. But it's not as if we could just sort of stand back and see a sort of list of our sins on a little notepad tacked onto the cross and think, well, I'm thankful for that. It's much more, it's much more than a remote, objective fact. Fact. Just look back in chapter 2 in Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we trust in the Lord Jesus, we're intimately united to him. He, by the Spirit, lives in us. He died and took our curse, but we too die to the old way of living, no longer under curse, but blessing. Romans chapter 6 states this, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The cross of Jesus, his suffering and his death, it's not some old historical event that has no relevance today. It's the only way, the only way in which we can be rescued from the curse and instead enjoy the blessing of a restored relationship with God. So here are some final challenge questions or challenges for us. If you've never trusted in Jesus, consider how hopeless, how stupid, how foolish it is to think that you can ever get there on your own. Look at him. Look at him and see him dying on the cross, taking the curse for you. And come to him by faith. And for you, if you have trusted in Jesus, ask yourself this question. Am I tempted to think that I can add to Jesus' death on the cross? Do I rely now on my own efforts? Rather, let's always make sure that we have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in our lives. In his book, The Cross of Christ, John Stott ended one chapter by quoting an old hymn, And let's use the words of one verse of that hymn ourselves as a prayer as we pray. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress. Helpless look to you for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. and that we would trust in Jesus for everything. In Jesus' name, amen.